Jenkins Chamber of Commerce's podcast brought to you by Marsh McLennan Agency. I'm your host, Jack Genoway. Today, I'm joined by Mike McManus of Veterans Navigation Network and Dave Nordell of MaxFab Consulting. Thank you both for joining me today. Thank you. Appreciate yeah. the invite. Good so, to be here. So first and foremost, we just want to get our listeners familiar with who you are and what you do. So can you please just both introduce yourselves to the audience and talk about your organizations? Go ahead, Chief. The first sergeant deferred to the chief. That's amazing. We'll get into this little relationship here. It's a good thing. Uh, yeah, I'm Dave Nordell, a retired command chief master sergeant. I did thirty over 30 years of active duty service. Uh, and as I uh, have transitioned over the last nine years, retired, um, I started MaxFab Consulting, which focuses directly on uh, veteran transition and leadership development for, uh, for the whole continuum of leadership. But uh, today we're going to talk specifically about veteran transition and how everybody plays a part in veteran transition, not just veterans and not just governmental organizations. So it's great to be here. And I'm uh, Mike McManus. I'm currently the program coordinator for Veterans Navigation Network. Uh, prior to that, uh, I'm retired Air Force uh, First Sergeant, a little over 20 years. And I uh, was also a county veteran service officer out in Ventura County, California uh, for 10 years. And that's from all those 33 years, bring that experience now working for Veterans Navigation Network. And what we do, uh, really, we want uh, that transition for many veterans can be difficult. Um, and we kind of help them along that journey. And by transition, that could be that Marine Corps vet uh, two weeks out of the Corps, or it could be that Vietnam veteran who really hasn't fully transitioned yet. We'll sit down with them one-on-one -on -one resource counseling, case management. If they need a peer mentor, we can help, help them with that. Advocacy is just something else we do uh, on many different issues, whether it's with the federal VA or maybe suicide. We uh, really, we're kind of that uh, two-on-one, you know, information for anything veterans. So both of you are veterans, so you have a little bit of expertise on these issues. But I'm curious, what made, what inspired each of you to want to specifically work on these issues? Well, for me personally, uh, I've been through the wash, rinse, spin, drive, fold cycle of the whole uh, the whole transition uh, for veterans. Uh, you know, I had my own my own set of struggles. I came with my own set of of uh, service acquired issues, mental health and physical issues, and how to work through those things. And and I've been on the precipice of 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 some dark some dark issues. And you know, when you come out on the other end of that. Uh, that you know that takes a lot of help when you come out on the other end of that you really start to think about um what do veterans need collectively right we all have a we all have a similar journey but it's different but what do veterans need collectively and who can be the adjuncts to uh, a better transition and who can provide environments for veterans with an understanding of, of of what our challenges are who can provide that environment for veterans to help them uh, reassimilate because coming out of the military is no different than coming out of prison. You're institutionalized, and it's a it's a big shift. And you really can't help veterans unless you know how to help veterans. So mm -hmm. my mission is to mobilize the people that really truly care, that want to do what comes after, just saying thank you for your service. They want to do a little bit of extras, and give them the tools to make them successful to help us uh, become productive uh, parts of society again and to maintain our purpose. Yeah, for me, I mean, you know, obviously being that veteran and have been deployed uh, many times and unfortunately, you know, lost some brothers and of course working with veterans now for 13 years and all of their different physical mental health issues and all the, uh, I don't know, just a lot of tragedy around all of that. 
working with uh, widows of uh, veterans who have taken their lives uh, is very difficult, but we owe it. There's a there's an obligation as a nation that we owe to our uh, armed forces, those that protect the rest of us. So for me, it's it's uh, fulfilling an obligation, um, kind of honoring those that have not come home, um, and certainly um, that includes the families. So really, for for me and VNN, it's an honor to help our fellow veterans um, and uh, their family members. Yeah, and so I, I think a lot of people share that that feeling of of gratitude and obligation towards people who've who've served. And Veterans Day is coming up later this month on November 11th. Uh, it's an important holiday to a lot of our guests, uh, but I think a lot of people don't really know how they should recognize veterans on Veterans Day, how they should should acknowledge and celebrate that holiday. Do you have any advice for either of our guests who want to take that next step and, and go beyond just saying thank you for your service? For me, I mean, you know, Veterans Day is one of those where it is a true celebration. It's kind of like Armed Forces Day. Celebrate those still wearing the uniform, very much unlike Memorial Day, where it's a very solemn mm. Uh, and people, you know, if someone says, hey, thank you for your service, not every veteran is going to appreciate that because that can get into some very deep, you know, where the veterans thinking, oh, if they only knew what I had to do kind of a thing and here they just thank me for doing it. So it can get pretty deep. But really what I uh, suggest for individuals, you know, certainly you can go to like uh, Veterans Navigation's uh, Facebook page, uh, VetNavNet, and uh, you can actually um, see some of the events that are coming up. Um, Veterans Day uh, events and participate and, um, you know, maybe encourage that veteran, you know, to participate as well. Maybe they do, maybe they don't. I also think, you know, um, if you're so inclined uh, to give to a, a local organization, there's a lot of good national level organizations. Uh, but, you know, as in Montana, we may or may not see, you know, benefit from that. So I would recommend, mm -hmm. you know, not going to put a plug in for anyone other than just say there's some really good uh, local veterans organizations and uh, go online or, you know, give us a call, go to that VetNavNet and you can contact us and we can give you uh, a variety of those, or you can certainly give to VNN, but really I think, you know, giving local, uh, maybe even volunteering with one of those organizations, uh, you know, have a little skin in the game, meet with those vets, um, Instead of just saying, you know, thank you for your service, if you know they're a veteran, you, you uh, are aware of that, um, ask them maybe to tell their story, um, which, you know, certainly much more than, you know, that thank you for your vet can be kind of a throwaway line, mm -hmm. um, maybe, you know, well-intentioned and things like that. But asking a veteran to, you know, hey, I, I appreciate you. Would you mind telling me your story? I think can go uh, can go longer. Like a good first sergeant, he covered all the all the points. No, yeah. seriously, uh, and Mike's exactly right. <clears throat> I've never met a veteran that didn't sit up straighter, get a little smile on their face, and uh, and their eyes brighten a little bit when you say, "Tell me your story." Because even if it was two years or if it was thirty years, uh, it'll start off with "I grew up in," and it will end with their last assignment. And in there will be scattered some accomplishments and some challenges. And you'll get you'll get the whole shoot match, and they'll share what they're whatever level they're comfortable sharing with. So it's a magical thing because you get to kind of you get to kind of educate. I guess what I'd like to add on top of what what uh, the shirt just said is uh, is some data so people understand. The nation creates thirteen hundred veterans a day. 
if you add in the family members that they take with them, that's about the size of the town of Roundup every day that, that hmm. steps out of the military and into our civilian population. And they come with a lot of needs, especially the kids and the, and the wives or, or spouses or, or partners out there that come with those, with those uh, veterans. And they have trouble transitioning, too. So there's the, the only place that they have for um, to be caught, you know, to, be, to, to, to help transition is out here in this space. So the more you can find out about their journeys and their travels, uh, the more you can be an adjunct to, to good transition. The other thing is 6% of our nation is veterans. 12% of Montana is veterans. Wow. So the entire population of Billings is the population of veterans in the state of Montana. Wow. So they're amongst you. Well, I always say it's like a bad Easter egg hunt, all of us trying to find each other because we don't <laughs> run around with our hands swinging above our heads. But when you do run into the veterans or you see those plates, um, a couple things to remember. One is uh, there's four, as of, as of January of 2024, there'll be 424,000 female veterans in our country. Mm. So when you see the car pull into the parking slot and a female gets out, you might want to ask them their story because odds are they wore the uniform and a lot of them have combat time. So, uh, so don't forget about that. But yeah, that sure nailed it. I mean, just, just really take the extra step and, and don't stay at arm's length because most veterans will share, you know, nuggets that uh, you'll never realize. And it's valuable. That's, that is really good advice for people here because that's, that's a little bit counterintuitive to me. I'm, I usually am, you know, want to give people their privacy. I might, you know, I might not be sure whether or not a question that I might want to ask is a, is a rude question or not. What, you know, what other advice do you have for people? I mean, how, how do you want to be recognized for your service and, and how much variance is that is there in person from person to person about, you know, how they prefer to be recognized and what types of interactions they want to have or don't. Well, and you're right. I mean, it is very much, you know, individual to the specific veteran, but uh, overall, most of your veterans are going to be very humble. You may not even know they're a veteran. Mm -hmm. um, and for them, that's just as soon, um, you know, how they would uh, leave it. Um, so it really depends. Sometimes, you know, they're wearing the hat. Uh, or of course, you know, like uh, the chief said, they've got their, you know, whatever uh, logo on their uh, license plate and things like that. So that could tip you off. But uh, most veterans are very humble. Mm -hmm. uh, we throw around the word hero a lot. Um and you won't, uh, you know, hear veterans talking, uh, you know, in that context within other individuals because they had a job to do and, and we did it. Um, so I think really just, you know, if, if you are, um, you know, aware and that veteran is open to uh, asking, you just kind of leave it as, you know, tell me a little bit about your story and let them tell you um, what they want. Uh, to tell you, but yeah, veterans on the whole are very humble individuals and uh, don't uh, necessarily make it known. And in some cases, they you know they've returned from some pretty uh, horrible circumstances and, and that kind of thing. They're really just ready to move on with the next aspect of their life. You know, go to college, buy a house, you know, get a job, and things like that. And they're not necessarily you know focused on on that part, but. I guarantee you the vast majority of veterans are very proud of their service um, and uh, they just may not necessarily make it public. Sure. Right. I mean, there's an opportunity, you know, Mike talked about going to events. Mm -hmm. There's an opportunity to learn about veterans and the unique things that they bring. 
So, for instance, one of my passions is closing this gap on leadership, right? Most people start leading when they're 30, and they don't get any formal leadership training until they're 42. Hmm. There's some phenomenons that go on in between there. That's that's on national average. That's just the average person that comes out of college and goes through a through a career. We started getting leadership training five minutes from the day that Mike and I walked on Lackland Air Force Base in San Antonio at whatever year it was. It started there, and it didn't stop until the last day. And so when you sit down and you want to ask a veteran's um, um, uh, opinion, which is probably the, a raw word, but ask a veteran's opinion on, on how to uh, create better environments in the community, how to work uh, uh, governmental issues, how to solve complex problems, um, how do you uh, mass people that may not all be under the, the, the same belief systems, but you get them pulling together in one direction? Veterans are magical about that. And I'm not talking about years to get it done. I'm talking about minutes sometimes. I always tell people, if you took six veterans, stuck them in a room, took the most complex problem in your organization, gave them the problem, the parameters that you wanted, uh, they, would appoint a, they would appoint a leader in five minutes, and in 90 minutes, they'd have five solutions, and one of them would be the most ridiculous thing you ever heard, but it's for <laughs> entertainment. So so why, why are we not doing that uh, and, and mining that and letting us, uh, letting us bring those things to the community? So once you know kind of what we have to offer, I, I challenge you not to leverage it. That's a good transition to talk about uh, veterans transitioning to the workforce. Um, bet on a vet is a, is an old slogan that I've uh, heard of before to encourage businesses to hire veterans. Um, tell us about the role veterans play in the workforce. So what are the what are some of the challenges that veterans have transitioning to the workforce, and what are some of the benefits that our member businesses should be aware of that they should give veterans a look. Well, I think, you know, obviously, you know, some of the things that the um, the chief had touched on where you've got um, real world um, experience working with very complex uh, problems uh, in with, you know, a diverse group of individuals. And, you know, there's they're well trained and yet, you know, can respond, you know, that instinctual uh, level. But also a lot of things can go sideways. So they're able to adapt and, and figure things out. So they're bringing, you know, a set of uh, those, a lot of those soft skills that just that inherent leadership uh, that, hey, we've got to get this done. Someone's got to lead it and mm -hmm. then we need to figure it out. So as far as dividing up who's doing what uh, with the understanding that if everyone does their job, it gets done. So that certainly, I mean, brings a lot of value to any uh, business. I also want to make sure, you know, business owners are aware that, um, you know, I've been asked the question, well, my gosh, you know, veterans coming out, they got PTSD, and not every veteran has PTSD, not every veteran saw combat, and even those that do and have seen combat, uh, that doesn't mean it's going to impact your business in any way, shape, or form. Sure. Um, is, so, you know, there's an educational component that uh, needs to uh, occur, and that's certainly what Dave is going to talk about. Um, but really, you know, there's a lot of support for that veteran and, you know, we, we've done a very good job when it comes to post-traumatic stress and, and things like that. Um, but people need to realize there's people that already work for them that have PTSD from any number of situations or some kind of, you know, mental sure. health condition. And they're like, well, we don't, how do we know that? You're right. You won't because they, you know, have got their stuff together and, and that kind of thing. So there's also a lot of support for veterans. Um you know, at the federal level, but then really at the community level as well. Try to take care of our own too. So um, there's support for veterans outside of work that can make them even more effective at work. So if this was a TV show, you'd have seen my head going up and down violently as Mike was speaking. So <laughs> it's, no, that's great. 
Uh, so it's bet on a vet. How lucky can you get? That was the jingle. <laughs> and that's, that is embedded in my head from 10, 11, and 12-year-old Dave Nordell post-Vietnam. And the pictures that were on TV were veterans in civilian clothes with their field jackets on, you know, with their names still on them and that type of thing, the, the born on the 4th of July kind of look, okay. you know, if you've seen that movie. The reason that that was done, and this is a great corollary, the reason that that was done was... The way the veterans were received back into this country coming out of Vietnam was really brutal. And there was there was two different viewpoints on service. Now, you got to remember, Vietnam ended in, in circa 1975. World War II ended in 1945. Mm -hmm. So there's not—the the people that, that, that reared the children of Vietnam were World War II vets. So there was support for veterans at that level, but our politics weren't aligned back then. And so we had to re-energize the country to, to, to say, hey, veterans are okay to hire. So think about, think about that because we're really yeah. kind of back in that phenomenon. We just don't have a jingle yet on, <laughs> on national television. And so one of the things, and Mike knows, we were just talking about this. Mike knows I'm passionate about this. And this is the core program, the Vet Ready program from MaxFab Consulting is the core program that we're offering to non-veteran civilian employers to go through comprehensive understanding of all of these things that we have talked about. Everything from moral injury to PTSD, right, to, to the phenomenon of institutionalized transition back into a new society, to all of this really cool, awesome stuff that you wish all of your employees had that we come with, right? And how do you take that, create the environment for the veterans so that they thrive emotionally, physically, and, and mentally thrive, because that's what they're looking for, have a sense of purpose, Right. And it starts to cut into all of these other things. And your companies are better. You're hiring, you're hiring ready-made leaders. There's there's certain people, believe it or not, there's certain people that come out of certain places in the military that can walk right into your C-suite and function perfectly fine. Uh and and I don't think people people may see that, especially the way we're portrayed on 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 television. So we actually have some things here in the Billings community between all the hard work uh that um Mike is doing. And, you know, the veterans navigation work is, is doing, but, you know, it's two of you and you guys are killing yourself on a day-to-day -day basis. And, you know, and Mike and I were talking about some issues. So, you know, you have to applaud that stuff, but I don't feel that the people are out there not wanting to do things or help, but doggone it, they need to know. And yeah. so we have a way to let them understand that so that they can position their companies and their structures to build that environment. And it's not cheap and it'll make you money, literally make you money, especially mm -hmm. on retention. So you uh, you mentioned the comparison to how veterans were received coming out of Vietnam, and I uh, obviously wasn't around back then, but I you know know the history of it a little bit. The when I think about how people react to the last couple of conflicts that the U.S. has been involved, I think most people just don't kind of want to think about it, um, and I I see that as a lot of people just not really recognizing uh, the veterans that come out of those conflicts. How do you how do you think in general we're we're doing as a as a society, specifically here in Billings, about, you know, recognizing service and, and welcoming people back in? That's a really good question. And um, knowing that this is going to go out and you don't know what little child may, you know, actually hear this. But, you know, it, we had a saying um, right after 9-11 and, and things were mobilized and whatnot and Afghanistan was going and then uh, Iraq kicked off that. Basically, you know, America's military went to war and America went to the mall. 
Um, in other words, you know, I mean, we have a much smaller military now than what we did, you know, back in 1991 with the, the Gulf War. And, you know, a lot fewer bases as well. So you had a lot less contact between America's protected and then those who did the protecting. Um, and if you didn't have any skin in that game, I mean, life is busy enough. So it's easy to kind of forget that and to go, wow, I thought we withdrew our troops from Iraq back in, you know, uh, 2011. No. So because we got, you know, had the... The attacks there actually just, what was it, yesterday or the day before? We still have 2,500, 3,000 troops. So, you know, I think just an, an awareness, but which, you know, that's really, uh, that's because the American military and some others are very good at what we do, that the home front um, doesn't have to worry about that. Um, but I think it's important to know that there's, the need for the military now is probably, you know, more or stronger than what it, it ever has been. Because there's a lot of, um, you know, challenges out there um, that we have to uh, confront. So I think being, um, you know, just aware uh, when these holidays come up, Memorial Day, explain that to, you know, your family members. When Veterans Day uh, is, you know, take your, you know, take the, the kids uh, to the American Legion Post 4 because they've got an event uh, going on or something like that and kind of let them meet some veterans um, and things like that because the uh, that history and that experience um, uh, they may not otherwise be exposed you know to that rich usually richness uh, so anyway that's just kind of my take on that uh, in a short time frame nobody calls their plumber to wish him happy birthday him or her happy birthday but they certainly do when the pipes break. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so I would say the American military, especially coming out of the Cold War, desert. once we started to transition out of Desert Storm, I would say that we got so doggone good that you didn't need to call. You didn't need, you know, you didn't need to, you know, to physically conjure that up in mm -hmm. your mind. You didn't need to call the plumber because um, no pipes were breaking at home. And so... Now, it's hard for people to understand when you're forward deployed, Mike and I have done a lot of it. When you're forward deployed, you get wrapped up into the culture and the politics of the countries that you're in. And sometimes people will say things like, I don't understand why we're over there. With the exception of one place, which was Somalia, I always understood exactly why I was standing. Now, if you want to find out, I get a lot of phone calls from people that say, what do you think about X, Y, and Z? And initially, when that first started to happen after I retired, I thought, why are they calling me? And it's that phenomenon. So uh, the negative of that is, is that people may not keep the military presence and what we do on the forefront of their mind. The positive of it is, is that we're that doggone good. That it doesn't need to be, to Mike's yeah. point, of all the things that are going on in your life, you can put that one in the, I don't have to worry about Ben victim of your own success. That's right. Amen. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, we got, we got off track there a little bit, but I was very curious about that. Um, 
Let's say that there's a business uh, owner listening right now that's uh, you know has some concerns about hi- hiring a veteran uh, or uh, you know is uh, skeptical of the of the value of it. You talked a little bit about earlier about the leadership skills and mm-hmm. soft skills that veterans have. What are what make the value proposition to a business owner of of why they should why hiring veterans is a good idea for your business? So, like the a good shirt will defer to the chief for. One reason or another. On no, 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 I love it. I love it. I, I wish we had worked together, Mike. Mm-hmm. I think we'd have made a hell of a team, uh, and the people would have thrived underneath us. So I, I appreciate you very much. Um, so here's the deal. Here's what veterans come with, and these aren't soft skills. This is real stuff. It's game changing stuff. They're critical thinkers. They're time managers. They have empathy. And they know how to work through any type of diverse population that you may put in front of them. They know how to calm things down. They're not excitable. Things that would seem like nuclear to most organizations are like um, a shortened lunch to them. And they have the ability to bring to your organization a diversity of thought that can only be built through military service. And when I'm talking about diversity of thought, I'm not talking about diversity as in a DEI type of diversity. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about asymmetrical thought, about the way to look at a problem in about five seconds, in about six different directions, eliminate a couple of those, give four courses of action, and get that whittled down to one or two probability things and move out. And and most And most often we get jammed up in organizations because they are not built for that type of speed limit. So this is where when you go into an organization and you're training civilian leaders, you know, civilian leaders of organizations, you have to teach them how to harness that to make that a benefit. Because what will happen is, is normally you go, this guy's trying to outperform me and take his job. You know, they think we think we're assets. They think we're not. Mm. Uh, and uh, and when that divergence happens, the veteran starts to disengage a little bit because they don't feel appreciated. Mm. And so. It's it's a powerful thing. Mike and I talk about, um, or I tell Mike, I said, you know, we get this transmission change when you go in the military, and there's two there's two gears in there that civilians don't have. The problem is they don't give you your old transmission back when you get out. Yeah. And so when you get out, when you get out, and you start mixing with stuff like that, you have to look at that. So you know, for civilian for civilian uh, leaders that want military people in their organization, if they are looking for asymmetrical solutions to how to reinvent themselves and stay competitive and be in the lead, you have to have some veterans around because they know how to do that. Yeah, I, I definitely echo that. I think the perspective that veterans can bring from working with different cultures from around the world, let alone just, I mean, different, um, you know, individuals, cultures from, you know, within the United States and having to make it all work in order to achieve that particular goal um, I think that just that that uh, particular perspective is something that brings a lot of value. Uh, that veterans bring a lot of value to any any type of business. What are some of the challenges that people should be aware of if they if they uh, you know if they've got a veteran candidate or they they want to make a concerted effort to hire more veterans? Are there any particular challenges that you've seen a lot of your clients deal with when entering the civilian workforce? Go ahead. Well, I think the, uh, you know, part of it is um, we, uh, you know, as veterans don't necessarily, well, we don't do a very good job in a lot of instances translating, you know, what we did in the service with all of the different technical training and, you know, you're responsible for, 
you know, equipment valued at this, and you led, you know, a team of X number of individuals. Uh, as, and then you've got, you know, I mean, college that is involved and things like that. So I think really being able to translate that from that military to civilian ease so that, you know, anyone can understand sure. um, what it is you did. A lot can be lost in that translation. I mean, there's some organizations that can help with, you know, veterans with that. Um, but I think that's, you know, where a lot of veterans, um, that's kind of that challenge. And another one is a lot of us, uh, I mean, I was, you know, two weeks out of high school and basic training. So I did a, you know, um, interviewing, but certainly not for a, you know, necessarily a particular position, certainly nothing like, you know, in the civilian sector. So I think, you know, um, making sure veterans, hey, you know, take the time and do some of that interview prep and we can, you know, resources for that. Uh, but that's important. So I think that's a couple challenges is just making sure you're, you're prepared for that civilian interview and that your resume uh, is in a style and written so that any civilian, I mean, can actually read it sure. uh, and understand it. The worst, to all of your listeners who are employers, the worst job interviews that you're going to get are from veterans. Mm. And I'll tell you why. Because you have questions that start off with, tell me about a time that you had a difficulty with X, Y, and Z and how you handled that um, in a satisfactory manner. And we started off with, because you're not allowed to say I, so we started off with we. I see. And we default because there's no I in team, number one, and we default. So we have terrible time bragging on ourselves. We have a terrible time uh, um, accentuating, you know, major accomplishments. I mean, big, big deal kind of things that would, that would impress you. And so you, you get a you know from the initial contact you get a little bit of a wedge between the employer and the veteran. Mm. And what I encourage the employers to do is don't give up. If the person sitting in front of you seems like a solid, it's probably because they are. It just takes it might take a little bit of extra work and really to walk away from the interview. Take this resume that says I was on a tank crew of four in you know Iraq for four years. Take that. Find the right HR professionals they are out there and say, what does all of this mean? And what kind of aptitudes do these people have, right? Because all of a sudden you find out that this person has an aptitude for customer service and you don't have, you're thinking, I'm not taking a guy that was in a tank and sure. putting him at the front desk, you know, doing my, <laughs> but that might be exactly where they belong. So you have to, you have to open those avenues and there's, there's, there's actual businesses out there that can marry up with you and, uh, you know. People are interested in that. They can get a hold of me. I know who they are. They can marry up with you. They can take your veteran and take the veteran apart and actually help the veteran just design the aptitude. And boy, think about creating the right environment for veteran, matching them up with their aptitude. Yeah. Right. Well, and then and then and then in that environment, you offer them the ability to get the help for anything that they come with. Boy, we're winning. We're winning. And of course, it's worth mentioning that a lot of veterans do have you know, really high level technical skills that have civilian applications as well. Oh, that's absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if you're, you know, if you're avionics, you know, in the air force for, you know, four years and get out and you've got your um, community college of the air force, two year degree in avionics and, you know, those, the electrical systems and whatnot on a F-16, F-15 multiple airframes, uh, pretty tough to find that level of experience at that yeah. age that you then don't have to turn around and invest in. Yeah. Mike said something really interesting there. So I want everybody to listen to this. The United States Air Force has their own community college for their enlisted people and their own university 
for bachelor's and, and graduate level work. The day that you graduate from basic training, you're five classes away from an associate, basically, once you finish your technical training, once you finish your technical training, five classes. So most everybody can walk out of the United States Air Force with an associate's degree that's exactly applicable to their technical expertise. Now, find that person at 23. Yeah, I was not aware of that. Uh, and I have to imagine that, you know, some of the some of the education that you get there is held. You're held to a little bit of a higher standard than your average community college. I have to imagine because the stakes are so much higher. Well, and I think I mean, everything is considered. I mean, you, you know, from your dress and appearance, uh, you know, I mean, just every everything is when we're talking about, you know, core values and living core values, integrity, first service before self excellence, all that we do. Uh, which are the Air Force, and very similar within the other branches, um, that's the expectation is you live up to those core values in everything you do. Mm. Um, and so when you've got someone who comes out of the service, uh, you're dealing with an individual who's used to those high expectations. So when you're talking to them looking for, you know, maybe that's a stretch position for them, uh, you might want to rethink that. It's probably not much of a stretch. Yeah, that's now, I'm not going to diverge too much, but Mike said something that I'm very passionate about when I'm advocating for veterans. These core values are no joke. They are beat into you. You live by them. You take them to combat. And you are, you are held to those core values, to the person to the right of you and the left of you. And it really comes down to, and I'm not exaggerating, it comes down to life and death. It comes down to, to, to well-being. Now, imagine... You go to a civilian company and the core value is integrity. And the boss comes out on the shop floor and he's wagging his finger and he says, I told you everybody has to have steel toed boots when they're working in this shop. And he's got open toed sandals and a Hawaiian shirt on. The vet, you know what the <laughs> veterans do? They open up LinkedIn and they start looking for a new job. Yeah. It values alignment is a huge deal. And this is something I, I had somebody tell me the other day. Well, you know, you know, veterans probably should start thinking a little bit different. We can work with them on that. You cannot, you can't squeeze a veteran hard enough to make them go back to a, to a two-dimensional application of values. It's a three-dimensional application. It's an expectation. So for those out there listening, the words that you put on your wall and your mission, vision, and your, your value statement, it's one of the first things we look at when we're at, when we're vetting you to be our boss as an employer. That makes a lot of sense. How else can businesses do a better job in this area? Michael, do a better job at this than I am. They have to, I, I really, I'm, I'm a firm believer in speed limit. And in this day and age, we have so many holes in our employment. Everybody, we're really struggling. Uh, we're either in a hurry to hire people or we're in a hurry to eliminate them. And some veterans don't even make it out of the paperwork stack. They don't even get the initial call from HR because the vernacular on the paper doesn't fit into these boxes that we built, these hard, hard-sided boxes that we built. And if you don't check three of the four boxes, you don't even get a call. Uh, I think that the word veteran probably checks all of your boxes. Hmm. So you have to slow down. The veterans probably need their own pile, right? I mean, when you get a resume and you go, oh, this guy just got out of the military and I don't know what this means. You need to slow down and give that a little bit deeper consideration because guess what? Veterans are really good for applying for jobs that they think they'd be good at. And mm -hmm. they don't even realize that the company actually has the job they're good at. And if the company would do a little matching, they'd probably fill holes elsewhere with veterans that didn't even know that they would fit. 
it's that it's that complex. So you really got to slow down with veterans. Don't get into the paperwork shuffle and just throw them in a pile because it looks hard and because the return on investments a hundredfold over what the time you'd have to put in on the front end. I think too, you know, if you're an employer and you're, and you're like, okay, I want to hire veterans and there's certain, you know, traditional routes to go about that, you know, Montana job service and that kind of thing. But there's some great organizations out there like Veterans Inc. right here in Billings. You got Vet Jobs. Uh, even when they come to us, I mean, we post on our social media and LinkedIn, uh, you know, different uh, job applications or job descriptions, really. And a lot of times we'll know veterans looking for, for work. So really, you know, for employers, can, you know, again, think outside that box a little bit. Contact some of these, you know, veteran-specific uh, organizations and one we can, I mean, we can, we can certainly help you uh, hire veterans because that's who we work with uh, every single day. All right. So before we wrap up, I'd just like to give you an opportunity to talk about any exciting events or opportunities to get involved that you, that either of your organizations has coming up. Well, I know uh, for Veterans Navigation Network, uh, we've actually got a, a holiday party that's coming up on December 22nd. Um, and that's, you know, we, we deal with a lot of weighty issues when it comes to veterans, but when we do what we call Vet Connect uh, events, it is strictly a social event, having fun, things like that. Veterans, family members of veterans, uh, you know, Guard, Reserve, everybody is certainly welcome. Uh, December 22nd, it's going to be at the Meadowlark Brewery. Um, and that's, you know, just one that we're actually putting on, but we've got some things uh, that are coming up that are going to help some veterans and, you know, they're going to be in early next year. Um, but really, if they go to that Vet Nav Net on Facebook, they can get all of that information on different events, information, how to reach us. Um, and uh, really, I think that's the, the most exciting thing is um, there's avenues out there. Reach out to them and you can get the information you need or the help that you need if, if you are a veteran. I want to take a different spin on that. Instead of saying what's out there, let's challenge people to create something. Mm. And if you're not sure what you want to create, give guys like Mike a call, give myself a call, say, I want to do something for veterans. And we can probably create uh, a little, you know, a, a virtual environment. It'll tell you kind of, kind of how to host something, uh, not only to show appreciation, but just to flat celebrate, right? Just to get together with people. And this is, it's almost like the 4th of July for veterans. And the reason I say that is, is people are always yearning. They want to do the right thing and they don't know how to ask the right questions. Well, you got two people here and there's more than us, by the way. You got two people here that will say, hey, what kind of business do you do? Where are you located? Hey, these are the kind of things that I would do on Veterans Day. It's the kind of stuff I'd have in front of my store. It's the kind of food I might have laying around. Something like that uh, to, to work through that. Because as we always like to remind each other on Veterans Day and Memorial Day, Memorial Day for us is a very quiet day. We don't want a lot of interaction. Flags at half staff in the you know in the morning until noon for a reason, and we need that time to reflect because as Mike started this off with, we've all lost brothers and sisters, right? So that's a different time. But this Veterans Day thing, you know, when you're when you're sitting there scratching your head and go, "Gosh, I really want to do something," call us. You have our information. You'll put it out there. Yep. Call us and just say, "Dave, I'm a business. I do X, Y, and Z, and how do I how do I make that make that right?" The other thing that I would recommend is if you're truly passionate about veterans, put the service flags up in your in your organization. Just put them on the wall. Uh, it, it helps with your customers. It helps with your veterans that you employ. It's a big deal, and it's such an easy, subtle thing to do. But I feel much more comfortable in in, in a in a place of business 
when I see those things on the wall. And a lot of times, sometimes people aren't even veterans in the place. They just care that mm-hmm. much. Okay. We will put uh, information, uh, all of that information down in our show notes if, if listeners are interested in taking the next step. We have a little tradition at the end of our episodes that we like, when we have time, we like to uh, have a couple of rapid fire, more fun questions. You both talked about the importance of leadership earlier on and how much leadership training uh, people in the military get. What are some of the best leadership resources for civilians that you've seen out there? Well, actually, when I uh, I work for the uh, Human Services Agency running their County Veteran Service Office in uh, Ventura, California, and they had a leadership program uh, for employees that had you know um, been in place for a couple of years, kind of assessing them, and it was a leadership academy. Um, it was uh, six months long, and you know different inter- or intervals where you were actually in person with everyone else, so you got a, a um, exposure to other aspects of um, not just the county you were in, but other counties. It was like a Southern California kind of thing. Um, So as far as the networking, as far as being able to work with a very diverse group of individuals um, from different organizations, Uh, Ventura County, maybe a little more conservative, LA County, not so much. So, (laughs) but you all have to work together uh, in order to get things done. Um, so I thought that that actually was um, fairly um, effective as far as the information provided on budgeting and finance, and you know certainly HR is always you know going to be a leader's uh, responsibility, but also on how to develop yourself as a leader. And and I had actually he was an old chief when I was first in the in the service, and and uh, you know he was always out walking uh, the flight line around you know the aircraft talking to people. He says basically I'm just you're not going to be able to check on anyone from behind your desk. You got to get out and, and walk and ask questions and things like that. Uh, and that was part of kind of, you know, this um, training as well uh, is you got to get out amongst your people to know your people. Uh, not so much necessarily on what they can do well, but if they're struggling a little bit, the only way you can know that is if you know your people. So, Leadership's a journey. There's no five ways, seven hows, or 12 habits. You can't rip the last page out of a book and stick it on your cubicle wall and say, if I do these 12 things, I'm a good leader. Mm. Leaders are appointed and anointed by their peers and followers. And everybody knows what good leadership looks like and what bad leadership looks like. Attach yourself to a good leader. Find a mentor and appoint them. There is people in this community that are willing to do that. You guys run a tremendous uh, leadership billings program Mm -hmm. and next-gen program through here. And the people that are presenting in those programs are tremendous leaders. Now, I've spoken three times mm-hmm. to leadership buildings. And out of that, I have six people in this community, male and female, that I mentor. Do I talk to them once a week? No. Sometimes I talk to them three times a week. Sometimes I don't hear from them for three months. Now, the three months, I know things are going good. And, some, and I don't mind doing that because they've attached to my style of leadership. I'm not for everybody. Neither is Mike or neither are you. But you have to find those people that have exhibited good leadership skills because the way they got there is the school of hard knocks, scars on their face, making mistakes, and and being in the game. So resources to good leadership are good leaders. Uh, the books you read are great to make you introspective, make hmm. you reflect maybe on some things you've done in the past or a current situation you have. They are not checklists. Managers use checklists 
leaders use experience and and uh, and on other leaders to to grow. And I think that's I think that's great advice. My understanding of what military service is like is there's a lot of high intensity punctuated by long periods of of boredom that people find ways to fill. Uh, what's one of the more fun experiences that you had while you were on on deployment? Now I'm gonna I'm gonna save Mike here because Mike's a first sergeant. So Mike was <laughs> Mike was Mike was the uh, re- disciplinary recipient of, of of a lot of quote unquote fun things during mm-hmm. boredom, especially when they were deployed. I'll tell you a story that I don't share with many people. Um, I was in Mogadishu, Somalia in 1993. So if you know the movie Black Hawk Down, that's the that's the place in the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a really boring place. Now, if you watch the movie, it doesn't look so boring. But uh, there was a lot of a lot of downtime, um, a lot of work to be done. That was that was a really pivotal time in my life and career. But uh, as Michael started to smile, the Air Force has security forces, cops, law enforcement, security people, protect flight lines, and those type of things. They're kind of our, our leading edge on everything. And there's the most dangerous thing in the United States Air Force is a board security forces member. And <laughs> they, they would agree with me. Well, we had a shark problem on the coast of Africa there in Mogadishu. So these guys decided to, uh, they were going to shark fish. And they talked our engineers into building a big grappling hook. And they talked some of the locals into coughing up a, the hind end of a goat. And they talked the uh, the medic, as I'm pointing at myself, to find some old expired blood to chum some sharks. And uh, <laughs> and so they threw all that in the ocean and tied it to a Humvee. And when the shark bit it, they'd drag the sharks up on the on the beach. So uh, that was a thing uh, to kill the boredom. Uh, it, uh, I remember sitting in those old metal folding chairs out on the beach in Mogadishu, watching this all happen, thinking... I'm in some bad version of a Charlie Sheen Vietnam movie, so <laughs> it uh, it was all it was all good. But uh, yeah, that's a fun story. I, I agree. The the ingenuity um, that GIs will have uh, when they're bored, uh, <laughs> or you know, the situation requires them. Uh, to think outside the box and come up with a solution. Uh, but I do think, uh, I mean, just the uh, one of the things when we, uh, my particular unit, 729th Air Control Squadron, uh, deployed to, well, Kuwait to start with and then ultimately up into Baghdad. But uh, Christmas of 2022, 2002. And, uh, you know, Everyone a little, you know, down. I mean, we knew exactly where everything was going. It was just a matter of time of, you know, basically marshalling everything together. Uh, however, just the, um, uh, you know, and of course, you're out in the middle of the Kuwaiti desert. So there's, I mean, it's brown. The only thing green is a sandbag. So uh, I was uh, always amazed um, at, at, you know, how you could make uh, sandman, Christmas trees. I mean, things that you probably wouldn't necessarily hang on them. Um, certainly not in your mother's house, but I mean, just, you know, that would bring a smile to you and stuff like that. Yeah. Cause you, you knew where it was coming from and Hey, we're doing the best we can in a shitty situation and you know, it's going to make you smile. And that's, uh, every place I was at, whether, you know, stateside one thing, but when I was in Korea and then Kosovo and, you know, uh, Kuwait and Iraq, absolutely. It's whatever, uh, can kind of take your mind off of something sure. just a little bit, uh, uh, is, yeah, the American GI is going to come up with that. Now, talking about boredom, we had some uh, Marines who had dug their uh, hasties, their little hole in the ground. And in December, January, it rained and rained and rained. And 
somehow they got these um, kind of like these little pup tents. And their CEO was like, nah, he wasn't big on the idea. But he, he relented. And uh, so they put up these pump tit, uh, pump pup tents, kind of keep them out of the rain. Well, board Marine, um, they're flicking matches back and forth at each other. One strikes the side of that tent. Boom. <laughs> they all go up. He was, the CEO was rather upset with them all. Luckily, no one was injured. And they slept in the rain until they, you know, the war actually kicked off. So, you know, I mean, it's just, <laughs> you know, laughing at it and, hey, you're doing good. And all of a sudden, no, we're right back to sleeping in the rain. So. <laughs> all right. Last question. Uh, how long have you lived in Billings and what keeps you here? Well, I'm originally from Montana. Love Montana. We got a lot of things we need to work on, but, uh, you know, grew up in Miles City, um, graduated from there, and then I was gone for 33 years, you know, between service and various things, and I always wanted to come back. I told my wife, who's from California, that uh, she's got my heart, but Montana always had my soul. Uh, and we came back in June of uh, 2020, and uh, my family's here. Uh, Montana is just, um, it just holds that special place. Um, it's kind of hard to describe, especially if you're not, you know, necessarily from here, but the tie to the land and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and you know, the, the sky and just everything about it, it uh, kind of gets into you and certainly has for me. Um, and that's why, I mean, I'll, we'll, we'll be here. I mean, this is, this is home and the, the feel and just the, um, uh, there's also a lot of work to do. So yeah. I, I take that, you know, kind of that obligation thing again, that, Hey, there's good work to do. So, what better place to do it than uh, your home state? Uh, similar, you know. I grew up in agricultural environment. I grew up milking cows, so I went in the military so I could sleep in. And uh, uh, <laughs> you know, thirty years of running around the world, and it was time to settle down. And I needed a place that uh, was earthy, where I could get back to that, and and the smells and the ability to be attached to that. And Montana offers that, um, the hunting, the fishing, uh, the people, um, what it feels like when you walk into small places and small towns and it just puts a smile on your face. Uh, I grew up 10 miles from a sugar beet refinery. So this time of year, uh, that smell is a whole different thing <laughs> to me because right we, we fed the dairy cows, you know, beet pulp, you know? Yeah. And so, so I smell that and that just takes me back. I might as well be, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old uh, again. So, uh, so yeah, it's all kind of here. And to Mike's point, um, there is work to be done in Montana and, um, you know, why not me and us doing it? Awesome. So it's great. Well, thank you both so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank yeah. you for the opportunity. Yeah, thanks for listening to Thank you so much to Mike and Dave for joining us today. And thank you very much to Marsh McLennan Agency for sponsoring this podcast. If you'd like to suggest a topic or ask a question, please feel free to email us at podcast at billingschamber.com. If you like what you hear, please rate us on your preferred podcast platform or recommend us to a friend. And don't forget to subscribe to Chambercast wherever you get your podcasts because there is something here for everyone.